Are you longing for real life change and lasting impact? At More to Be, we believe that is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Lisa Pulliam, the founder of More to Be, host of the More to Be podcast, and I'm here to help you think biblically and live transformed, to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. On today's episode, I'm excited to introduce you to a new friend of mine. Her name is Toni McFadden, and she is a vibrant woman of God who is passionate about helping our youth know the truth about sex and relationship based on the Word of God. I had the opportunity to meet Toni at a conference back in, I guess it would have been February, and we're recording this now in April. Uh, and Tony did a workshop that she shared her testimony, which I never actually got to hear. So I'm excited to have Tony with us today and hear the play-by-play of her story and how come this topic is so important to her. Because even though, Tony, we got together for coffee, I still feel like I don't know your I whole know. story. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I've done a few podcasts in the, in the past couple of months, and Every podcast brings out different aspects of my story. Yes. And like, this is why I need to write a book because yes. so many details and God has just been so amazing. And it's because of what the Lord has brought me through that makes me so passionate about sharing with the youth because the things that I'm teaching them are the things that no one ever told me. Mm. And I believe that although we think our kids aren't listening to us. I think our voices as parents and as, you know, in an older generation that they do want to hear the truth and they do, we do have an impact on, on their lives and the things that we say to them. And so I just want to walk alongside parents and kind of reinforce what they probably already want their kids to know, but I'm not their parent. So they're going to listen to me in a little bit of a different way, but I love my presentation. I love the tools that I'm giving these kids, but I think what really makes what I'm saying believable to them is because I share my personal story. Right, right. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm glad that you're going to be able to to tell us about that today and that we're going to be able to point parents and youth leaders and ministry leaders to you as another resource for this conversation about sex and relationships, which as as you might or might not remember from our (laughs) fun conversations together, and most of my listeners probably know this already, is that I spent 18 years at a boarding school with my husband. Mm -hmm. And so he was the teacher and I was the one coming alongside these girls that came from all around the world, all different faith backgrounds, and would have these conversations about sex and and uh, integrity in how they carry themselves as women and then even what type of relationships they would enter into and then living in the boys dorm those conversations happened with the boys too and it kind of busted all of the the um, misconceptions that kids don't really want to talk about this yeah because whether they were guys or girls they wanted to have this conversation and me being female didn't make it awkward for the guys uh, and so I love that you actually give your message to both mm-hmm. uh, both guys and girls together in, in various ages. So let's like let's dive into that. Uh, first, maybe let everybody know about your current family and what that looks like inside Tony's house, and then give us the backstory of how you got to where you are today. Okay. 
Well, my house is a little crazy. I have four kiddos, ages eight, seven, six, and four. Mm. So it's never quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of activities, but it's so great. Two boys, two girls. Uh, my husband and I have been married for almost 10 years. Mm. He is um, the president and CEO of, of Pennsylvania Adult and Teen Challenge. So his ministry is very powerful on the subject of addiction. And he has a powerful mm. testimony as well. We probably won't have time to get into that. <laughs> but day to day, I used to homeschool. I homeschooled for like three years. But then this year, we kind of transitioned. I was like, time to go to school now. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> they go to a private school right now. And they're doing so well. And they're thriving there. And so I'm a stay at home mom. But on the side, I do speak, I do my program, which is called Relationships Matter, which you can find on TonyMcFadden.com. And that's where I will go to either youth groups or mom's groups or church congregations, just speaking about my story. And a lot of times I have spoken my story at a congregation. And then at night, if they have a youth group, I could speak to the kids on my relationships mm -hmm. program. So this all started for me a while ago, but um, <laughs> I like to begin with how I became passionate about this was the story before I came to Christ. Okay. I remember being a senior in high school and I remember sitting in this waiting room and sitting right across from me was my best friend and sitting right next to me or well, reverse. My boyfriend was sitting right across from me and my best friend was next to me. Mm. And I remember in that moment feeling like these are the closest people in my life, but I feel completely alone. Mm. Moment. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is I'm making a decision right now that I knew was going to affect me for the rest of my life. But I was in a moment of being scared and lost. And what I began to think is, how did I get to this place? Mm -hmm. And knowing what I know now, I think what brought me to this place started with decisions I started making in my life all the way back in middle school. Mm. I say in my program, each and every one of us is building a foundation for our lives. And mm -hmm. we have a choice to either build on what is true or build on opinions or what we think is true or which, you know, in Matthew 7, I believe it talks about that building that foundation and yeah. either on sand or concrete. Yeah. I'm sorry if I got that reference wrong, but I know it's in Matthew. No, no, actually, I think it's right because we just, it's so interesting you're saying this in the More To Be Facebook group. I guess it's probably principle number, I want to say 16. We talked about this, building our lives on this foundation. Uh, Jackie, in our Facebook Live recording, if anybody's listening, they want to go find it. She kind of goes into this, like what yeah. is the foundation on which we're building our lives? And I always pay attention when a, a biblical principle comes my way more than one time in one week. I'm like, I'm listening. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. So go from there. So building yeah. on that foundation. And, you know, a lot of us are born into a Sandy foundation. And mm. I certainly was. My, my dad was married or divorced twice. Okay. And um, my mom now, she is my mom. <laughs> she has been my mom since I was six. But it was a rough growing up for me. Okay. So I kind of had a Sandy foundation laid out for me. But I'd, I truly believe that there comes a point in a time where you have to begin to build for yourself regardless mm 
of what's been built for you. But for me, I tell my kids even this all the time, who you surround yourself with tells a lot about who you are. So choose your friends wisely. Mm. And in mm-hmm. middle school, I did not choose <laughs> the right people to be around. And I became sexually active very early around that age mm. because I was exposed to things that I probably shouldn't have been exposed to. And I thought to myself, well, I won't do everything. I'll just do some things. And because that's the crowd I was hanging out with. Yeah. And you know, it's really easy to point your finger at other people. Like I remember saying, well, at least I didn't, I didn't do as much as this person or this person. The self-reflection is actually a lot more difficult. And I didn't do that. And I kind of was just trying to figure myself out because being in middle school, you are trying to figure out who you are. And -hmm. if you're learning from who you're around, they know just as much as you do. (laughs) So, um, I get into high school though, and I have my first real boyfriend mm. with a year ahead of me. And it was my junior year. My, no, we met my sophomore year and he was a year ahead of me and we dated off and on for about two years. And to paint a picture of him, he was a high school quarterback, mm. tall, handsome, <laughs> my first like real boyfriend that made me I guess he was a picture of what I had always thought I wanted, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what healthy relationships looked like because I didn't come from healthy relationships. I was trying to figure it out myself. So we started dating and then my, it wasn't the best relationship. He did not treat me the way that I believe a girl should be treated. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have the best upbringing either what got really difficult was my senior year, he went off to college Mm. and I had this fear that he was going to leave me because Mm. he was going to be around all these older girls. And even though I didn't really have a biblical upbringing because we went to church in phases, we would go to church, stop, go to church, stop. And it never affected who we were, how we made decisions, the way we looked at life. Mm -hmm. All I knew was, yeah, I believe in God. Yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but there was no relationship whatsoever. Okay. So for some reason, though, I had not done everything. I had not had sex, but I thought that maybe I should with him because I thought then I could keep him. Yeah. And we find ourselves sitting in this waiting room and I'm sitting across from this guy who I've given my heart to, my emotions to, my virginity to, and I'm realizing I can't ever take that back. But in this moment, I want to because, as I said earlier, I realize I'm making a decision that's going to affect me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that was to abort our child Mm. because I was scared, because I was fearful, because he said, you you shouldn't keep it. And my best friend said the same thing. And they were the Mm. only voices that I heard. Mm. Words are powerful. Did you talk to your parents? I didn't. Okay. I didn't because I was known as like the good one. Mm. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't have expected this from me. And so I was scared to tell them about that. Mm. Yeah. And I just remember getting an ultrasound because they told me I had to be at least four weeks pregnant before they could even do the abortion. Hmm. And I asked if I could see the monitor and the nurse 
was hesitant to do that, but then she showed me and she said, see, it's nothing. It's the size of a pea. That's what she said to me in that moment. And in my teenage mind, that made me feel better. Yeah, sure. And so I went through with the abortion, but I remember, and this is not for all women, but for me personally, I felt the guilt right away. Mm. And Mm. I remember laying on the back seat of my best friend's car and us driving away and my boyfriend and her having a conversation as if nothing happened. And Mm. I silently cried in the back seat, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thinking like, what did I just do? And Mm. I can't change it now. So that was really traumatic to go through, going through the abortion, going through it by myself, basically. Mm -hmm. And my boyfriend decides that he's not going to talk to me anymore after this. I'm aging myself a little bit, but we, we had beepers <laughs> back then. So there was like no cell phones. So I would beep him hoping he would call me back at home and I would come home from school and there was never any messages from him. Oh my word. And so not only was I dealing with a heartbreak, I was also dealing with the fact that we aborted our child and that I was dealing with all those emotions by myself because I didn't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my life kind of spiraled out of control after that even though I wasn't connecting the pieces at all I was just going from meaningless relationship to meaningless relationship and the two words I love to say but God (laughs) I transferred out of my after I graduated high school I went to college for a couple of years in my hometown but then I was like I got to get out of here I just got to get out of this town. And I transferred to Westchester University. And long story short, a friend invited me to Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm. And I remember walking into this room, seeing 200 students, mostly just raising their hands and praising Mm. God during worship. And the, the expression on their faces hit me so much because my heart was longing for freedom longing Mm -hmm. for for something more and I didn't know what that looked like and I didn't know what it was but they had it and I knew that they had it and I remember going back to my dorm room right that night falling on my bed and just bawling my eyes out Mm -hmm. and I didn't say like a sinner's prayer or anything I was just desperate and I'm like I don't know how to change like I don't like who I am and I don't know what they have but that's what I want Mm. I truly believe God saved my soul during that, during that moment. And I felt like a hunger in my heart the next day that I wanted to know him more. And a friend that I met there at Campus Crusade that night, she led Bible studies at our dorm. And mm. she came by and asked me if I wanted to go out to, to lunch with her. And lo and behold, she was the one that just started to disciple me. Mm. And God just put all these pieces together to help me to thrive and to grow in him. Things that I wasn't even asking for, which was so beautiful. And I think the most beautiful part about my story. So I started working at a crisis pregnancy center where I would go out into schools and I would speak on saving sex for marriage. And that was just so powerful because for a year after I became a Christian, I didn't tell anyone I had had an abortion. I was Mm. open to telling people that I didn't wait for marriage, but Mm. I thought that was the one thing Christians weren't going to forgive me for Mm. because it wasn't talked about a lot. And if it was, 
it felt more shameful. And so I didn't feel like open enough to be able <laughs> to share that. But I remember a friend sat down with me who led this relationship education piece. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting with her and her telling me about the program. And I just remember thinking in that moment, I'm going to tell this girl my story. I'm going to tell her everything. Mm. And after I told her, she said, and she started to cry, first of all, which was healing actually for me that mm. I didn't feel judged. But she also said, do you know how many girls need to hear your story? Mm. Mm -hmm. And right then I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you with the most shameful part of me mm -hmm. to share if it's going to help other people. Mm -hmm. And before I shared in the classroom, I went home and shared it with my parents, which was very difficult to do because it's been years yeah. later. Yeah. But they were able to receive it differently because they had seen my life change so mm. much over the years. Mm -hmm. But I also think it was hard for my mom because this happened right under her roof and she had no idea. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. mom guilt was there, but they knew what I was going to do with this. So, mm -hmm. which most people probably wouldn't do, taking your weakness and sharing them actually gives you strength mm -hmm. you know, in mm -hmm. Christ. And so th I knew that's what God was calling me to do. So I would stand in front of these class classrooms and of teenagers, and I would share my story and they were so appreciative of someone being vulnerable Mm -hmm, and being mm -hmm. honest and not putting up a perfect picture all the time because mm -hmm. no one's perfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I saw how impactful it was, which made me even more willing to keep sharing it, even though it was putting me in a very vulnerable place. Cause I don't know how they're going to, they're going to respond to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what I've done and how I used to act. But what I would tell them is that your past does not have to determine your future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can make different decisions now so that you are not living the same life all the time and yeah. the same things because there are, we had a team of people speaking and some of them were waiting still. Some of them had not had sex yet. And so they were just saying, it's worth it. Like it's mm -hmm. worth it to keep walking this path, even though it's difficult. And then I was coming in and reinforcing that if you haven't, your worth as a person has not changed. Yeah. You still have worth, but you need to reevaluate things. You need to re start rebuilding your foundation because you can't go back and change it. Mm -hmm. Don't wait until you're 21 years old like I was. I never heard this message. Mm -hmm. And so this is, it was so empowering, not just for them, but for me too. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I needed yeah. to hear this message and these kids would walk out. So just having so much of this information that they almost didn't know what to do with it because it's such an opposite message than what yeah. they are hearing. And we would be there for two, three days just sharing with them. Mm -hmm. And then I took over the program a couple of years later because my friend, she got married, was starting her family. So I took over and I remember the year complete, like it was yesterday, 2008, 
I wanted to be married by now. <laughs> so I'm yeah. like 28 now. I got saved when I was 21. Oh. And all my friends were getting married and it was like, ah, you know. Yeah. And little do I know, someone had been looking for me for about two years. Mm. And this person was looking for me because little do I know, God had grabbed a hold of their hearts and really showed them what it meant to be a man and what mm. it looked like to actually have relationships, not just with a woman, but with friends, <laughs> with mm. his mom, what that was supposed to look like. And had no idea this person was searching for me. Mm. And I remember it had been 10 years and I remember walking into a restaurant because he said, I don't want to say this over the phone to you or through a text. I would really like to see you face to face. So if you're catching where I'm going, yeah, the same man, and now I'll say it like this, the same boy who sat across from me in that abortion mm. clinic, 10 years later came to me to apologize to me for the things that he put me through and that he mm. was so apologetic of the fact that he left me after we aborted our baby. Mm. And he is also the man that put a ring on my finger mm-hmm. married for 10 years and have four beautiful children. And <laughs> neither of us knew we were saved yeah. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. That's amazing. And he would say that he came to look for me because he wanted to apologize, but he thought I was going to be married already mm. and come to find out I wasn't and that I was a Christian was like, okay, Lord. <laughs> yeah. And I know I can't go through all the details, but it wasn't like, I was like, okay, fine. Yay. You know, let's get back together. It was, it took a little bit. And, but he, he said to me, the longer you know me, the more you're going to be able to trust me because I'm not who I am. I'm not who I used to be. And mm. I could tell that from the first moment I walked into the restaurant before he even said a word and I saw him sitting there, I could see the presence of God in him <sighs> without him saying anything. And so how redeeming is Mm -hmm. God (laughs) to do that for us and Mm -hmm. us four beautiful children? Yeah. That's the message that I'm sharing with these guys and these girls is to tell them like, it's worth it to Mm -hmm. follow Christ. And it seems like, oh, you have this perfect story, but I was single for eight years before my husband came along. And that was me rebuilding my foundation and learning how to be on my own and walking out what I say to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to live that out too. I had to hold high standards and I had to believe I was worth more um, despite the my actions I did before. And so that's what I'm trying to instill in them that today's a new day and how are you going to mm-hmm. use this information when you walk out of here? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's so powerful for me to listen to what you're saying, because there are people in my life who some people have written off, Mm -hmm. like they're too far gone. They'll never come. Mm -hmm. God, they're they're too much for God to work with. Like it's the overarching message. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were points in which you felt that way about yourself. Your husband felt that way about himself. Maybe you felt that about each other. Yeah. Of like, yeah, that will never happen. And yet mm-hmm. you too are a living testimony of not only God being a God of redemption individually, 
Yeah. But only he could orchestrate that detail yeah. of you guys coming back together. Exactly. He was not even on my radar because I would talk in the mm-hmm. classroom about when you set your standards high, you meet people who have their standards high as well. Yeah. And like I said, all I had heard about him was he was in and out of jail because of drugs. Yeah. So he wasn't on my radar. No. <laughs> who I would want to marry. No. And even though I had forgiven him and I went through post-abortion counseling and I had a lot of healing through that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just never would have expected to marry him. Yeah. At yeah. all. Yeah. No. <laughs> Why would you? That would be a like you think you'd be writing a, a television series, mm-hmm. <laughs> a Netflix special or something, <laughs> yeah. to, to come up with that. I mean, that's your p- perfectly happy ending, but that's glossing over the grief and the sorrow and the pain. And also like, I'm listening to what you're saying in the background of Leviticus is like in my head, which sounds crazy, but uh, I had a friend say to me uh, a couple of months ago, you're such a new Testament girl. And I, I, I bristled at that and I was like, I am not, you know, (laughs) and then I looked at my Bible, the, the same Bible I've been reading for the last four or five years. Sure enough, the whole New Testament's done and read. And there's all these Old Testament books that I haven't even cracked pages on. Yeah. And so I've been doing due diligence and reading through the Old Testament. I'm reading through Leviticus and law, law, law. And you, it sets it up why Jesus came to fulfill the law. Like, yeah. and, and that his bloodshed satisfies all of the requirements of the law for us. But here's the thing, as I, as I close the page in the last chapter that really stuck out to me is, you know what, at the end of the day, God wants our allegiance and our obedience. Yes. Amen. And, and he wanted it back with all those laws and he wants it now in our hearts and in our actions. And as you were talking about your husband coming back and seeking forgiveness the, the thing that was going through my head was that he was walking in obedience yeah. to what God calls us to do, which is to own our stuff, mm-hmm. uh, own our sin, seek forgiveness from him first, seek forgiveness from those who we offend. And, and he blesses obedience. Mm-hmm. That's his heart's desire. And if you right. read through Leviticus, when you get to the last few chapters, I mean, you just hit a point of like, oh my word, God, your anger is extravagant. Mm-hmm. Your, your destruction is far greater than anything we could envision. And yet, like you use the expression, but God, mm-hmm. but God at the end of it is merciful. Yes. And Goodness. when we turn our hearts to him, what he will accomplish is exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine from yeah. Ephesians three, which is what he's done in your life. Yes. And so grateful and so thankful. So grateful. So yeah, I know you shared a passage with me mm-hmm. from Isaiah. And I want to, I want to read these verses, which interestingly enough, this was also through my quiet time this past week, oh, I had wow. been talking to the Lord about, some things that are going on in my life. And, and he brought me back to this passage, which was our passage for when we moved here three and a half years ago. Um, So I was like, Oh, (laughs) what's going on? So uh, in Isaiah 43, Mm -hmm. uh, 
Isaiah writes in verse 19, for I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. So what makes you say that this is, this is one of those verses that, that describes your story? Like kind of unpack that for me. Well, actually, I would also do verse 18. Okay. Uh, re- remember not the former things. Yes nor consider the things of old because I had always done things a certain way. And God was saying, now I'm coming into your heart and I'm going to do something new. Mm. I don't want you to remember the things of the past. That's not who you are. And I don't want you to sit in the old stuff because it's easy to look back and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stay there. But he's like, don't miss the new thing that I'm about to do. And I stood on those verses all through my singleness Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. he's like, I want to do something new in you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're going to walk through some things like basically you're going to have to sit in your pain Mm -hmm. and allow Mm -hmm. me to work. And that might feel like wilderness, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I'm going to make a way through all that. And you're going to see my hand in the purpose because we can always say, Oh, the enemy or this, it was like, God was literally walking me through the wilderness first Mm -hmm. in the pain. And I needed to sit in my pain so that I could comfort other people like second Mm -hmm. one, I believe five talks about. So I could comfort people with the comfort that I knew. I know that I know that I know that I received from him. Yeah. 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 That completely makes sense. And I do think like, you're talking about your sexual promiscuity and you know the abor- the abortion piece in your story that makes yeah. your story what it is that god god can heal that and you said something earlier about like you felt like within the church that was a a sin a shame so too great to give words to yeah and so i love what we're doing here saying no no that's not we can talk about this mm-hmm. uh we we can talk about what happened in the past mm-hmm. without living in the past. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say to that woman who's listening right now, who experienced an abortion, maybe multiple abortions? Yeah. Uh, and it's been her secret shame. What would you say she needs to do mm-hmm. today? Yeah. I would say, do not let the enemy have any more hold on your silence because silence paralyzes you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to speak about it like I do. It doesn't mean you have to speak mm-hmm. about it on a platform, but tell someone you know you can trust so that light can get into that darkness mm-hmm. and set you free in a way that you're not going to expect because God is too good to keep you where you're at. And he was too good to keep me where I was at. I could have just gone through life holding that secret in. But when I spoke that for the first time, there is something that broke in me Mm -hmm. that began my healing process. And there is power in our testimony. So again, it doesn't mean that you have to share with the whole world. But you never know who might need to hear your story. And if you're at a place where you haven't even spoke about it to God, get alone with him Mm -hmm. and acknowledge that to him. His blood was enough. 
His sacrifice on the cross was enough for that sin. Yeah. And I speak here today saying, I know who I am. I know that doesn't define me. And every time I share my story, I believe that my child has a voice Mm. and that he's no longer a statistic anymore because his life has purpose every single time Mm -hmm. I share my -hmm. story. So it's, I believe there, God died for redemption. He wants to redeem now. Yeah. That's what he does. And so we don't need to live in silence or fear, but I do think it's important to tell the right person. Yeah. Everyone is ready to hear that or even deserves to hear it. Yeah. So I would say find that one person that you know that you can trust to talk to, or maybe it's writing it out in a journal and reading it by yourself out loud and allowing God to meet you in that. So it could look differently with everyone, but it's definitely speaking it out somehow. Yeah. We had a counselor tell us years ago that a family is only as healthy as the secrets they keep. Mm. And we've used that as our mantra in our family. So there's kind of this um, policy, you know, I have all teenage children now and we've been living this out for the last like 12 years together, I think of if we struggle, we struggle together. Yes. I love that. Right. So, so there's no shame in anxiety. There's no shame in anger. There's no shame in um, depression. There's no, there's no shame in uh, drug addiction. There's no shame. Mm -hmm. Uh, That shame, that kind of shame is where the enemy wants us to be isolated. Yes. And sometimes that's compounded by the people of God who are not very discerning about what comes out of their mouth. <laughs> yes. And so now we already have the enemy camping around us on the shame of our actions in which the Holy spirit has convicted us and said, Nope, this is not of me. You know, this is not of God. Uh, but then we've got people who have uh, kind of confirmed that shame message. And so yeah. this stepping out and I, I do agree with you and in, in stepping out, talking to God about it, stepping out and talking to a trusted friend. But I also know that as a, as a coach working with women, somebody who loves Jesus doesn't always know what to say. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage uh, our listeners to pursue a Christian counselor who is skilled in the area of, of the struggle or the shame. Right. So if it's abortion, find a Christian counselor who understands how to care for a post-abortive, yeah. you know, emotional health. And mm-hmm. if it's anger, or if it's sexual abuse, if it's drug addiction, pornography, whatever it is, find a counselor who has experience in that area. And, you know, I always recommend going to the focus on the family website and looking yeah, for counselors in the, in your area and, and calling a number of them, like not, not presuming that just because they're listed somewhere, they're the right fit. Right. Mm-hmm. Go to a couple of sessions. And if there's not a, a, a connection or a synergy, if you feel like they're saying something and you just kind of walk away, you're like, mm, I'm not sure I'm supposed to receive yeah. that. Mm-hmm. It may not be the right fit. And it may mean going to another counselor until you feel safe yeah. to unearth the past. And the Holy Spirit had me say this to my father years ago when we started our restoration process. 
and said, dad, counseling is in a lifetime commitment, but you need to go to get to the root of why you did what you did. So you never do it again. Yeah. And bless my dad and bless God. Uh, my dad went and what came out of the first year of, of therapy for him was that he had been sexually and emotionally and physically abused as a child and had suppressed it. Yeah. And so his treatment of me was a byproduct of what he had been through. Yes. And as he was able to release that in a counseling situation and, and I, you know, my dad's not a believer, but I see God has healed him Mm. and, and moved him into a place of humility and repentance, just like you described your, your husband. Mm. And, and so there's restoration of the relationship and there's freedom to speak frankly and to enjoy today. Right outside of that stronghold of, of shame and, and resentment. Yes. Yeah. Which is, is so key. So, so key. Mm -hmm. So let's, um, as we begin to wrap up here, we've kind of talked to the woman who's struggling. Mm -hmm. Uh, what can we do as parents speak to the parents who are listening? Mm -hmm. What can they do to create a culture in their family of, of honesty and openness so that their kids can come to them yes. if they find themselves in a sexually active situation, pregnant or struggling with anything for that matter. Right. Well, I believe that first of all, when they come to you with something, if you want to freak out, don't freak out in the moment. <laughs> freak out later. Yeah. Right. Right. Get in, put your game face on let them release because they're, they're also watching your reaction. Yeah. How are you, how are you going to respond? Freak out later in your room when they're not around. Yeah. <laughs> right. And they pull yourself together, you know? Right. Um, my kids are still very little, but on the topic of um, sex and relationships, we don't want it to be this big sit down. Mm-hmm. Talk. Mm-hmm. Be just ongoing. Mm -hmm. ongoing conversation just with things in life. Like for example, something so tiny, um, my eight-year-old plays football and some of the football boys were like, we're going to go look at the cheerleaders, (laughs) something like that. And he went and told my husband and that was a moment. My husband said, you know what? We don't treat girls like that. You're not going to go and do that. We're supposed mm-hmm. to respect girls and I don't want you doing that. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, he didn't yeah. this, you know, it has to be this ongoing thing. And my daughter, she's seven and she, boys were making fun of her teeth in class. Mm. You know, she's growing into her teeth. She has her adult teeth. Yeah. And I remember I was doing her hair and she was looking down and I saw it. It was a moment. And mm-hmm she told me that. And I said, honey, you're beautiful and you need to not worry about what they're saying. But in that moment, I felt like, like the Lord was like, go tell your husband because yeah. she needs to hear from her daddy. And so he came down and he told her, he said, honey, let me see your beautiful smile. And she's like, no, like trying not yeah. to smile. And he said, look at me. He said, you are absolutely beautiful and no one else's opinion matters, but your daddy's. Mm. And it's like these little moments God gives us 
along the way that are shaping them and the way that he treats me, the way that my husband treats me is saying a lot to them. But like you were saying, having that open and honest conversation all the time, not having things hidden Mm -hmm. and being able to freely mess up. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for you to walk in obedience, but if you don't, let's talk about it and why, and not just look at changing the behavior, but getting to the heart of things. And that just has to be an ongoing thing and asking the Lord to help us in that. Cause being a parent is very difficult. <laughs> it's so, so hard <laughs> difficult. and we need yeah. his grace to, to do that. But I look at my life and my husband's life and we came from such rough backgrounds yet God was able to redeem that. Yeah. And my children have a completely different foundation where right. they're very aware of the Lord but, you know, my eight-year-old yeah. has gotten baptized. He will say, I love Jesus. I want to mm-hmm. want to know Jesus. And we're discipling him right now because that's yeah. what he needs. And just praying that it's not just about being perfect for Christ. Yeah. He died so we could stand in his perfection mm-hmm. because we don't have it in ourselves. Yep. And so that's what we want to instill in him of this is why you need a savior Yeah. every day. Yeah. And it's great because you're, you're doing the things with your young kids that are very similar to the things that we did with ours. And, and with our older kids, I see the fruit of it. And, and you know, here's the thing, two things. Um, when, when we've missed the window of opportunity, it doesn't mean the doors are closed. Exactly. And so there's one of the best ways to connect with older kids, like say, say, you know, our listeners are talking about their like 14, 15, 16 year old, or even their 20 year old. Yeah. Uh, it's so fair and, and wise and reasonable to go to that child mm-hmm. and say, Hey, listen, I, I've been listening to this podcast. I realized like there were some things I just didn't know to do with you when you yeah. were little that I wish I were mm-hmm. and I'm sorry. And, and I would love to, you know, kind of just take you out for coffee and tell you parts of my story I've never shared with you before. Yes. That and would be, be so powerful. Right. To begin that transparency, to begin that honest conversation, say like, I'd love for us to head in a new direction. I know it's going to take time. I don't expect you to be at the same place that I'm at today. Mm-hmm. But I just want to, I just want to share this with you. I want to leave you with a perspective about your mom that maybe you never considered before and know that I'm safe for you to come to. I love that. Uh, and so I think, I think that combined with, for parents of like tween and teen agers, mm-hmm. we always think that the early years is like, like, you have no freedom, no independence. You're like changing diapers, chasing toddlers, yeah. shuttling to games. And then all of a sudden they become these like tween and teenagers. And I feel like at the tween age years is this opportunity before they're running, often running by themselves. Mm-hmm to make time for them. And so, you know, I just said to my leadership team the other day, I'm like, I got to cut out these Monday night Facebook lives. I've got to, I've got to circle the wagons back around to being in the house at bedtime. Yeah. Because that's when my kids want to talk. And yep. so we have this thing that we've been doing for a couple months now of devotions with the kid, with, with the twins who are 13 and honestly, like it's taken, I think four months to maybe read like eight chapters of scripture. Yeah. 
<laughs> part of that is because it's become talk time. Yeah. And that is as important mm -hmm. as the Bible reading, because I can infuse Bible truth in our everyday conversations with them. If they're not processing out loud what they're going through, mm -hmm. the word is, it is just mute at their age, I feel like. And even though they, they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that personal side of their faith in action requires that kind of discipleship mentoring yeah. that comes through conversation. Mm -hmm. And and so I'd say, you know, mamas, put the brakes on busy yeah. and show up unscheduled. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to create the, you know, I talk about this in our biblical mentor training, uh, this kind of parakaleo relationship, which is this coming alongside. And when you have the coming alongside week after week after week, when the time for the rebuke needs to happen, it's emotionally safe. When the time for, you know, challenge needs to happen, it's emotionally safe. When confession has to happen, it's emotionally safe because you've been doing this all along. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So there's hope. I think there's hope yeah. for those of us who have done the things that we wish we wouldn't have done and are living on this side of it and, and create creating new legacies Yeah, is the motivation. And then there's hope for the parenting side of it is that our kids are not too far gone right? Uh, and there are opportunities in front of us. Will we seize that? Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Yeah. It's mess up in parenting all the time. I'm like, I'm messing up my kids. <laughs> no, 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 I was actually listening to this horse podcast. Like I'm all into horses and riding. And so I've been listening to podcasts about training and working with horses. And, and the woman on this particular podcast was talking about the, um, what defines failure mm -hmm. in working with your horse. And she simplified it. She said, failure is if I do not provide food that's quality food. I do not provide fresh water every day. I do not provide shelter. Mm -hmm. Then I'm failing my horse. Anything else I do it is above and beyond. Mm -hmm. And and maybe I'm disappointed with my choices. That doesn't mean I failed. Right. And I just thought, wow. oh, this is parenting. Like, <laughs> you know, food, water, shelter. Yeah. And I would add to it because we're dealing with children who are made in the image of God. Like, are we nurturing hearts? Are we nurturing minds? Mm -hmm. But if, you know, we have to redefine failure from disappointment, right? We'd be disappointed with our parenting, but that doesn't mean we failed as a parent, right? It's an opportunity for growth. Yeah. I love that. that yeah. Makes so much sense. Yes. Thank cool. You. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being here. Yeah. Would you uh, feel comfortable praying us out? Yes, I would love to. Okay, that would be great. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We thank you, God, for your sacrifice, Lord, and that your sacrifice has made us new. Thank you for defeating death, Lord, so that we could have life mm -hmm. and life with you, Jesus. So God, I ask that um, you would help us to continue to run hard after you. And I thank you, Lord, that you can take our weaknesses, you can take our failures, you can take our past, and you can make it something beautiful. And only you can do that, Lord. And so God, I just thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace over our lives. And we love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm actually, before I close us here, I want to read this um, 
has a blessing uh, from I, the beginning part of Isaiah 43. Uh, and I, I'm going to change up the words a little bit so that it's specifically for us. Uh, but now, oh, sisters, listen to the Lord who created you. Sisters, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One your, of Israel, your Savior. I have Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I have Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for you because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. And I just kind of see that as a banner over what we've talked about is is going back to the place of knowing who we belong to and you even said that and what he wants to do with us good so sisters go study the book of isaiah read chapter 43 so good yeah yeah so thank you tony for being here with me today and thank you everyone for listening to the more to be podcast We are praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and His Word during your time with us today. If you'd like to show your support for the ministry of More to Be and our podcast, we'd love for you to become a More to Be Sisterhood Circle member. You'll be blessed with our signature courses and resources while being a blessing to others. To learn more, visit moretobe.com slash podcast for a special link just for our listeners. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.